Welcome to Whoology, a real-world theology podcast that breaks down episodes of Doctor Who, hosted by myself, Fizz, and my lovely Whovian wife, Laura. Oh, hi. Today, uh, this is episode four. We'll be talking about season eight, episode four, Listen, which is what I hope you're doing to this podcast. You listen, we'll talk. That's right. Um, so, the... The thing about this episode is, right off the bat, if you read reviews, you read most critical acclaim, most people are not only saying that this episode was good, but they are saying that this episode is the best episode since name the other best episode that they thought was the best episode. Does something to do with yawning or coughing or breathing or blink, blinking? Blink. Well, not just that. I mean, like some people are like you know going all the way back to the Empty Child. Some people have mentioned that this is the best Doctor Who episode ever, ever, ever. So right off the bat, like I said, people on the whole, at least critics, love this episode. Laura, how do you feel about this episode? Gosh, I um I enjoyed the episode, but I have a hard time putting it up there with some of my favorites. Um, like if we're thinking the entire rebooted series going all the way back to Eccleston, um, there were a lot of great things about it. But um, I mean, I had some qualms with uh, a few of the the um, storytelling. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I I wouldn't say it's my favorite. It was a good episode. It was a solid episode. What's your favorite of the season so far? I think that I probably enjoyed Into the Dalek better. Hmm. Well, at first, when or as soon as this episode ended, I kind of was like, mm, did that just really happen? Because I, I did have to go back and think about it. I had to ponder a lot. I had to step-by-step step go through the episode. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And I think at first I, I, I felt like there was too many missteps or they took the concept that they dealt with in this episode too far to have really brought it around the way they did. Mm-hmm. And what I say by that is, all through this episode, we're, we're dealing with fear. We're dealing with characters being afraid. And the contrast to that is the Doctor, from the very beginning of the episode, throws out this concept that there are beings. Aliens, monsters, creatures, beings. Mm-hmm. That surely have evolved... Um, with a defense mechanism that allows them to hide better than any other creature in the world. And, like, again, from the beginning, we see supposedly one of those creatures being in the TARDIS answering the Doctor's out loud ramblings. Mm -hmm. You know, writing listen on the chalkboard. Which made me really excited because I love it when science fiction takes things that seem very ordinary or things that you don't think about very often Mm -hmm. and it turns it on its head and makes it into something completely terrifying um, that you can't separate from reality for the rest of your life once Doctor Who has made it into a monster. Exactly. And and that's that's actually one of the things that I love about the shows that Stephen Moffat, or the episodes that Stephen Moffat has written, Mm -hmm. 
because you know he's given us like, statues that can do lots of bad mm-hmm. things. He's given us the Vashti Narada. Yeah, so. that's what I thought about when when he was doing his monologue at the beginning. I thought, oh, we're going to have another like mm-hmm. silence in the library kind of deal going mm-hmm. on here. So that gave me a certain set of expectations that possibly have colored the way that I viewed the rest of the episode. Yeah, I mean, I was expecting the monster. And the funny thing is that I think everyone else was expecting the monster too. So what I was talking about at the beginning is when it comes around and we see lots of evidence of there being a monster, there being a tangible something, a tangible creature to fill the logical conclusion of this fear, it was a bit of a rug pulling mm-hmm. out from under the audience, you know, us included, when the implication is there was never anything there. Right. And as even though the monster or the like I said, the creature um always seemed to be the most likely option in every one of these little scenarios they got in, I often felt like they pushed it a little too far. And the biggest example um being some kind of tie between Listen being written on the board mm-hmm. in the TARDIS and uh, the the mystery something under the cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- those two things I felt like were taken a bit too far. But like I said, the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I realized that every time they assumed it was a creature, it was always easier to have been the creature. Which shows how irrational that fear was. Right. And so the more and more I think about the episode, I get all, all the way around, full circle. Mm-hmm. So the more and more I have thought about the episode, the more and more I really did enjoy it. And I thought it was pretty clever. And furthermore, I do get what lots of people are saying. And this kind of humanizes the doctor a lot, um, or at least brings the doctor down to earth. Mm-hmm. Um, we almost never see the doctor scared. Right. That, you know, he is the one rushing headlong. He is the one that we see believes this uh, this long spiel that we get from him first. And then, you know, with the time the way it is originally from Clara, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, she's talking about, you know, fear is a superpower. Fear can make you faster and cleverer and stronger. And one day you're going to come back to this barn. And on that day, you're going to be very afraid indeed but that's okay because if you're very wise and very strong fear doesn't have to make you cruel or cowardly fear can make you kind and that basically shapes the doctor that I think we've seen Mm -hmm. at least you know from the reboot on you know he's always trying to be kind anytime there's uh, something to be afraid of even if they're running or they're acknowledging that they should be scared of said monster or said situation the doctor is always using that to comfort people, to, you know, like I said, formulate a plan, save people, and it's really shaped him. And I think that in and of itself is a pretty big step for the mm-hmm. show. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty brave of them, I think, to put some words in, in Clara, Clara, a mm-hmm. new a new character um, to the show. Like, put some, some words in her mouth that go all the way back to... Um, think William Hartnell I think he was the doctor in The Unearthly Child um, and say these originally came from her you know she mm-hmm. is the source of some of these things that have um, have made the doctor who we consider the doctor today um, but 
there you're right I feel like there were some things that um tripped me up a little bit as I was watching the episode I like some of the places it ended up and I felt like there were some really um poignant and and heartfelt moments some things that really stuck with me some lines that really stuck with me um and I like that they didn't necessarily have to be these big grandiose moments there were just little lines here and there that really struck me as well written um, and really thoughtful things. One of them being actually um, something that the doctor says when he and Clara and Danny are all standing at the window trying to ignore the scary thing at their back. And they're just looking out at the sky and the doctor says, the deep and lovely dark, you'd never see the stars without it. Which is almost like a, um, an encapsulation of some, of some of the theme that's going on. That it's because of the dark that you can see bright points. Mm -hmm. um, it's because of the dark that people come together, that people need each other. Um, which is how I take the, the ending line that fear makes companions of us all. Um, that it forces us to need each other, to not be alone. So there were some great things about this that I, I, I enjoyed getting to know Danny more often. I like the rapport between Danny and Clara. Um, I think... 12 and Clara are great together. Mm -hmm. I love their their quippy back and forth. So the rapport. It's fun to watch. It was fun to watch. This episode was. Well, something that we got a lot in this episode is oftentimes we never see what the companions do when they're not with the doctor. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the companions stop their life to travel with the doctor for an uninterrupted amount of time and then they're then they're done. Mm -hmm. You know, when when they're whenever their time comes, they just stop. Mm -hmm. And so, who knows what happens to the people they are, they leave behind in the interim? Exa exactly. And I mean, we did get a little bit with Rory and Amy trying to adjust to like pop in and out, and they mm -hmm. did they did deal with that a lot um, right there towards the end of Rory and Amy's time of them trying to decide if they were going to stay or they're going to go. But we never really saw a lot outside of one episode, more or less, mm -hmm. of them really staying. Um, yeah, trying to deal with normal life once you've seen the it, universe. It, exactly. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's going on here is, like, how is it striking you that Clara... We're, we're actually with Clara. We're, we're seeing lots of Clara, especially with Danny, mm -hmm. like, doing real life... Going on a date... Like something that we, I just don't feel like we see very often in the Doctor Who universe. Nice, um, very yeah, nice. Yep, that was terrible. I saw. Whole bunch, <laughs> I, I I can already see a whole bunch of people being like, oh, uh, eye roll, eye rolls. So, but we don't get to see that very often. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, how is it striking you to kind of see the in betweens? You know, the the real life happening in between the Doctor. I think it's nice to look at sometimes to to consider that that's what's happening but it's not that intersection of real life and the you know fantasy life uh is not necessarily the the thing that draws me into the show you know mm -hmm. that's not what i want to explore every week like i want to go somewhere new and exciting mm -hmm. and um and see how the doctor can muck it up <laughs> and then save it again um but i i mean it was interesting it's interesting when they pull that in. I'm glad that it's kind of intermittent or sparse. And I liked how they did this one because there were some parallel things going on, which I really didn't think about until I was thinking over the episode and trying to kind of dissect it. 
But Danny, Danny seems terrified of something. He seems terrified of his past. Mm-hmm. And then we also saw that he's scared of his future, too, with the, the scene at the end where he's scared of what will happen if he, if he tries to do something with Claire or he tries mm-hmm. to move forward. Um, so, you know, that's interesting that, that even if you're out in the wide universe dealing with a whole different time and space and aliens and whatever that there are universal things that we're dealing with, alien and human. So, one of the things that this episode really deals with, like, and we've already touched on it, is fear. Mm-hmm. And I'm really conflicted because I think one of the reasons that a lot of people like this, and this is what I'm hoping all of you out there will jump in on, you know, on our blog page and comment on, because I'm still working this out myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of the people really like the conclusion that this episode came to about what fear is and how we use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say that, uh, I want to I want to take this quote and I want to give um, full uh, full credit to um, the AV Club. Um, there's a very long review there about this episode, gushing about how much they enjoy this mm-hmm. episode. Um, made a lot of great points. Kind of changed my mind a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. But one of the things that uh, they the AV Club review said is, um, listen arrives at a far simpler, more mature truth. It's okay to be afraid because there's nothing inherently wrong with being afraid. Hmm. Fear is an emotion, and the doctor's impulse is to respond to fear with rational arguments. But emotion and reason are not opposites. Rather, each exists along its own separate spectrum. The presence of monsters cannot justify fear because that implies their absence removes the justification. Gotcha. So what I'm hearing in that is that, you know, it's telling us, it's telling everyone it's okay to be afraid Mm -hmm. or fear is natural. Just go with it. Or, you know, like you don't have to always justify being afraid. And I, I feel like I want to be on board with that. But theologically, I'm also conflicted because there's a lot of different takes on what, like, what fear is um, to Christians. Yeah, and what its source is. Yeah, what its source is, what it says about you when you fear, things like that. I mean, like, I just, you know, just doing a cursory search on, like, mentions of fear in the Bible. And almost nothing, like, says it's okay to be afraid or... Yeah, just, you know, be afraid, but be strong. You know, it's all like, Second yeah, Timothy tells us, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Isaiah tells us, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. You know, and then he goes on to talk about God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand. First John tells us, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Um, uh, Psalms points I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears uh, Proverbs says the fear of man lays a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe so most of these scriptures acknowledge that we're probably going to be afraid at some time but to kind of dwell in that fear is means you probably have your faith in something mm-hmm. erroneous and there's two things here I can't tell if they're saying the same thing about fear, like it's okay to be afraid, um, but what do you do with it? The problem is, I think that 
the show says, when you're afraid, look inward, make yourself strong, and forge ahead. Hmm. And I would think our theology says, when you're afraid, turn to God, realize the truth of who he is and who he made you to be, and live in that truth. Mm -hmm. Not turn inward first, just grin and bear it and push forward. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really conflicted. And like I said, if if this doesn't make sense to you, if you think I'm way off base, I'm completely fine with This is one of the toughest things I think... Um, I've been saddled with since trying to navigate the waters of Doctor Who and theology. So um, I know I saddled you with that for the first time, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, like I mentioned, I thought there was an element maybe of needing each other and needing to tell each other, um, you know, it's okay to be afraid. Telling each other, you you have strength in you. Um and that's something that these characters couldn't, the conclusion they couldn't come to on their own. They were paralyzed, paralyzed by fear until a friend could come to them and help them, take them by the hand and lead them across that barrier. So there was a lot, to me, that bespoke a message of needing one another, of what I said about interpreting that last line, fear makes companions of us all, mm -hmm. that it requires us to need one another. Um, but most of that, I think, maybe was done through action rather than direct, um, direct, like writing, like you know, spoken the spoken word, um, because there is that. Yeah, that that seems maybe a little bit contradictory to fear is your superpower. It makes you strong. You can do anything. Mm -hmm. Just look inside you. Um, maybe those two c come together a little bit at the very end when Clara finds herself with the the doctor is a child mm -hmm. um, because she speaks his own words to him um, giving him strength to overcome his fear is it his own words or is it her words <laughs> oh my gosh time travel mind explosion but I, I think that I mean that could be interpreted as uh, the strength is inside you already you just have to, to tap into it but I mean for me looking at that it made me think about how there are things that are true about myself that are true about God that I that I believe is truth about the God of the universe and about like my relationship to him, my position to him. Um, but there's also a very natural part of, of, you know, of being human that causes me to doubt that or to distrust that. And but that knowledge is still in me. That's a part of me as a truth. But I I feel like being in a community of believers is reminding each other you already know this is true just remember that it's true you know remember that that truth exists remember that you are beloved of god remember that you're protected by god that um yeah that he sacrificed for you you know so i don't know maybe that could maybe be a meeting point of those two things that um there's like a un there's a universal truth out there that I don't know, that we need to remind each other of. That maybe it doesn't all have to do with the strength inside of you. I don't know. That's me trying to trying to turn, <laughs> give like a, a spiritual bent to that. Um, but that's kind of, those were kind of some of the things that I was thinking in that scene. Um, well, was there anything else that really stood out to you about this episode? Mm, 
I think I continue to be impressed with how real Clara is feeling and how how quickly she turned from one of my least, probably my least favorite companion of this series so far into one of my favorites. I really love her rapport with the Doctor and I love that she's, I mean, she's just dimensional this season. She, um, the Doctor's always pointing out her flaws to her and she's starting to recognize them herself. She was confessing some of her flaws to Danny. Um, so I think I, I'm really on board with her in that sense, that she's she's somebody that I can relate to now. She's somebody more real than she's been before. So I enjoy watching her continue to develop. That's really interesting because I feel like with her development, um, even though I do like the fact that she's playing a more prominent role, my problem stems from the fact that for the same reasons that I didn't like Matt Smith at times, where his doctor was just like, I'm all powerful. Like, you know, I'm going to win. I'm too smart. I have Mm -hmm. all the best answers. I feel like Clara never makes a mistake. Makes mistakes. She, (laughs) she just knows more, Mm -hmm. um, much more than I feel like she should. Um, like she's almost too wise Mm -hmm. all of a sudden. And I don't know. Like I said, it, it's like it's like the the doctor and the companion have their roles reversed from where we saw like uh, you know Eleven and Amy and Rory. Mm-hmm. You know, like the companions were often confused and in trouble, and you know Matt Smith was always like, "I've got every answer," mm-hmm. um, which was usually fun. Like I said, I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like it or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe a little too easy. But a little times. too easy at times, and and now it seems like that's just reversed. Now, like uh, twelve, you know, Capaldi's got this. He doesn't know. It seemed like he, he doesn't know what's going on part of the time, or he's too stuck in his ways, or he can't see the bigger picture. And Clara can always see the bigger picture, hmm. and it seems a little too convenient at times. But that's, I mean, that's a pet peeve. Yeah. But, but speaking well, of thieves. <laughs> I mean, I think that's definitely true at times with her. But in this episode, um, like, there was the time where she for, came back for the second go at the date and mm-hmm. said, this is how I can be sometimes. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's my bad. And then um, she really was was getting very frustrated with the doctor, especially when they arrived at Orson Pink's mm-hmm. state, uh, space station or whatever. And she said, you're an idiot. She just kept yelling, you're an idiot. Like, why are you doing this? This has no point. And it really wasn't until she saw, she was able to see him as a child. Both of them, actually, Danny and the doctor. When she was able to see them, like, at a level that she can understand as a teacher. You know, something that she, that really moves her. That she could have compassion on them. Otherwise, she was, I mean, I think fear causes us maybe to react to people or to act in ways that isn't really us. It, it causes us to um, treat people in a way that we probably wouldn't otherwise. Um, and it's easy to see that happening to you, like Clara does with Danny, and say, this is about me. He's insulting me. Mm-hmm. And not see it from their point of view. But then when she, when she saw them in that innocent form, and she saw the root of the fear that was the same same thing that was in them as adults she could have compassion i feel like that was a that was a flaw to me that she could only see it in relation to herself until she saw them as innocents and then she could have compassion she helped them most she helped the doctor and mm-hmm. then she came and helped danny so 
Um, although I, I, so I agree with you, but I think in this episode specifically, there were some examples to me of her being more human, hmm. more real. Fair enough. Well, um, like I said, we have a fairly short show, even though it was a. I feel like we've been talking forever. Really, pretty, even though it was a pretty good episode. Um, <laughs> but you and I, like I said, both of us, neither of us thought that it was, you know, the best episode ever. Um, uh, like I said, even though I think we both enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So there's probably some dislikes. Um, I think probably my biggest dislike is, I mean, I've got some little come on moment things. Um, like, really? Really? Like, how in the heck did she know that that particular barn was the one that he was going to come to us? <laughs> as, like, an, a doctor on the verge of destroying his race. I mean, it really didn't look the same. It wasn't the same mm-hmm. bar. I don't know. Maybe it's because... Anyway. That, to me, was a little bit of a stretch. Um, but I think the main hiccup for me in this episode was the child under the blanket. Um... And I, I mean, that that was proper scary when it was happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they're just sitting there talking and suddenly something else is in the room and they didn't hear anything enter um, and they didn't know what it was. It wasn't responding to them. I mean, it was really scary. And it was, and I think it was, um, and I loved it because that's where I thought it was going. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to go in the direction of the monster. and uh, And then it just kind of, Diverted or, or twisted in a different direction after that. And I, although I think you could probably look back on it and, and really analyze it and say, well, it could have been a child who, you know, blah, blah, blah. They didn't show us the face, et cetera, et cetera. I think even if you can explain it away for different reasons, as a viewer, it threw me off the scent of the real point of the episode. I mean... As just as a viewer, somebody watching it, enjoying it, um, it caused me to stop in my in my watching. So it was a distraction to me. It didn't seem like a consequential part of the story that had to be there for any reason. That, uh, but that it was kind of manipulating your emotions. It was making you feel fear, um, but it didn't it didn't really feed into the hole for me. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like. The doctor saw listen written on the board in chalk and his chalk was missing. And that to me felt like story, like cheating in the storytelling because it's making us believe something else is going on because of the way the doctor is acting about it. Like, oh my gosh, how did that end up on the board? So what, did he forget that he just wrote that on the board? Or is that really just cheating the viewer by making them see something that's not really happening? Yeah, what it did was it really confused me because mm-hmm. later in the episode, Clara says, like, nothing can get in here. Like, nothing can get in here. And I was like, what do you mean nothing can get in mm-hmm. the TARDIS? Like, there was already one of those creatures in the TARDIS at the very beginning of the episode. Right. I mean, and maybe that was another sign to point to there was never anything in there. Um and that's fine, but to me it wasn't it wasn't obvious enough. I mean, I don't necessarily want everything to be spelled out for me as a viewer, but I don't want I don't want to sit there throughout the whole thing wondering, wait, was I thinking about that wrong? Wait, what's going on? Well, I'll say this too. Someone made a really good point in um, some of the the critical reviews that I was reading. That they said that one of the best things about this episode was that it keeps viewers honest. Um, and what they meant by that was too often viewers, 
for lack of a better term, we kind of get lazy. Mm-hmm. Like we just assume if someone says something, we're going to believe it. Um, so we're shown something like in the very first scene where the doctor says, well, I didn't write it. So we're like, oh, okay. I guess the doctor didn't do it. There's got to mm-hmm. be something. And even furthermore, like the scene that bothers me the most where I think they maybe overcommitted to it was, again, in the the thing on the bed. Mm-hmm. But the reason that we think there was a real thing on the bed, the only person that told us that there it, that no one came in the room was a child that was scared out of their mind and wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And so Claire's like, did anyone come in and, you know small child who's afraid for his life who wasn't even looking in that direction says no one came in Mm -hmm. and as an audience we go okay this small child who's scared out of his mind is obviously telling the truth right um so you know you kind of analyze it under that light and you realize oh well we're taking too much for granted um and the signs are there Mm -hmm. you know in real life we wouldn't believe you know a child who ran into our room in the middle of the night and said, oh, I saw a monster, I saw a monster. Or, you know, there's something here or something there. We wouldn't always believe them. Right. So why would we believe them here when they're also scared out of their mind? So I get that. Um, but nevertheless, it still was, uh, those two parts were still kind of like my dislikes. I, to a certain degree, the the entire opening monologue, I can't really feel like how I feel. I was like, should he be like monologuing this to me? And I noticed that some people said that the opening monologue was like one of their favorite parts of the entire mm-hmm. uh, uh, episode. But I him, think it was interestingly shot. It was it fun was. to look at. It was but... fun to watch. But like him going through that, and and the only thing, the reason I'm torn and it's kind of like a moderate dislike for me, is because I, I didn't end up liking it. But the the thing that I can, I guess, respect about it is. I'm assuming that they're showing us what it's like to be with the doctor by himself. Right. You know, like he really would just talk to himself and go crazy and do this thing. And even though it sounds like he's telling us things as an audience so we can be on board, he's really not. He's really just thinking out loud. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of I'm like hot a, and cold on it, but it's kind of like how Sherlock talks to Watson even when he's not in there. Yeah. <laughs> Watson comes back and he's like, Have you been talking this whole time? Yep. Uh, yeah, that brilliant. These brilliant men keep. Uh, they just talk to themselves. Their minds are constantly working. So yeah, that was an interesting kind of glimpse into his personal life as we get a glimpse into Clara's Clara's so, personal life. So we we end the episode by talking about uh, our favorite part. So what was your favorite part of this episode? Um, I I think I really liked when. Clara was talking to Danny, little Danny, and putting the toy soldiers around his bed and shutting the doctor up and <laughs> and um and really pulling from her own experience from her own heroes to comfort him, you know. And and her experience is real, you know, her experience with the doctor. She she picks up this one toy soldier that comes into play a lot in in the rest of the episode who doesn't have a weapon and Danny's worried about that because he's the chief and he doesn't have a weapon and she says he's a soldier so brave he doesn't need a gun and while she's saying that it focuses in on the doctor behind her and that's a great way to describe him he's a hero Mm -hmm. so brave that he doesn't he doesn't resort to violence as the first choice he resorts to kindness and 
and being clever and creativity and peace as his first weapon. Um, and so she's really pulling from her own experience that that works, that there's strength there and comforting him with that. And it clearly made an impact because that little toy soldier was kept and passed down through, Mm -hmm. looks like it was passed down from generation to generation in the pink family. So Mm -hmm. I think maybe that, that might've been my favorite part. Well, I was going to say with the whole soldier theme that we've seen in many episodes now, Mm -hmm. um, and even with what we overhear when Claire is with the, you know, the young kid doctor, and they're talking about he'll never be a soldier. He'll never be brave enough to be a time lord, you know. Mm. Like, I think ba- basically we're getting a direct parallel, which is why also my favorite part was that line um, that she says when she says, that's why he's the boss. A soldier who's so brave he doesn't need a gun can keep the whole world safe. Mm. And, you know, exactly what you said with you know, showing the doctor, that being a metaphor for the doctor. And I think that's ultimately what's going to come to a head later when, you know, Danny and Clara proceed and the doctor has to confront him being a soldier. They're going to have to work all that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm pretty excited to see that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested in the doctor's first meeting with Danny. <laughs> very, very interested. So, um, but anyway, that like I said, that's all we have for now. Uh, we've already we're already starting to go over time, but we're sorry if you really liked this and hated our review, Mark. <coughs> <laughs> but um, like I said, there's there's lots to like about this episode. Um, I, like I said, I really did enjoy it. It's probably my my favorite one of the season so far. Um, but I mean, there's there's a lot more episodes in the even just the rebooted. Um, Doctor Who uh, that I like more than this, even though I really respect lots of the things they did in this show or this episode. So, with that said... Wait, do you say it's not your favorite? No, no, no. There's lots of others that I like more than this one. But this is your favorite of the season so far. I think it's my favorite of the season so far. Um, The more and more I think about it. Because I I like what they did. Some of of the ways they did it, you know, problems, we talked about that. But um, overall... Uh, I think I think it's my favorite one so far. It's cool. the one I probably might go back and watch the first, like before the others. Yeah. So, with that, if you disagree, that's great. If you agree, that's awesome. If you want to clarify some of our statements, if you want to ask us further questions, please do that. Uh, this episode will be posted over at realworldtheology.com slash whoology. Uh, you can find the show on iTunes. You can, Like I said, you can find us at the website. You can discuss it um, with us on Twitter. You can tweet us at uh, Laura underscore Fissel or at Fissification, or you can tweet Real World Theology at Real World Theo. So any way you want to keep this uh, discussion going, great episode to talk about. And until next episode, we're reminding you to always take a banana to a party. Good advice.